This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Welcome to this next episode of the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm really excited to be talking to Carrie Cheadle today, um, who is a coach on mental skills training. Um, And I ran across this um, job, career field recently and thought that it really did tie in well to parenting because when we're parenting kids with special needs, we certainly um, need to be in the right frame of mind, to have the right mindset for success. And there's a lot of different pieces to that. Um, But I think that this ties really well in with this sports mental skills training. So Carrie, I'm so happy to have you here and sharing your expertise. Will you start just by introducing yourself, who you are and what you do for the audience? Sure. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having me. So um, like Penny said, my name is Carrie Cheadle and I'm a mental skills coach and I work with Um, athletes and exercisers of all different levels and all different ages on mental skills training, which is basically, you know, a lot of the, um, when you think about any type of performance, there's a a pretty significant portion of being able to perform optimally has to do with um, our mindset. And, uh, and a lot of times we don't think about those things as skills, Uh, you know, we, you know, with my athletes and exercisers, and I also specialize in working with um, injured athletes and um, people living with type one diabetes. So really it's like, um, you know, they're all performances in just a little bit different way. Like whether you're injured or whether you're trying to figure out how do I thrive living with type one or you're, you know, performing about to, you know, go to the Olympic trials, like a lot of the mental aspects are still, um, there are a lot of similarities across all of those. The the performance might be different, but in terms of what somebody needs to be able to feel confident and to be resilient and be able to perform under pressure is the same. Like the pressure might be different or the stage might be different, but those, some of those principles and the things that, um, the skills, the mental training skills that people can have in order to thrive are the same. So I get the opportunity to work with many different populations, many different sports, all different levels from recreational and exercise, you know, people just trying to make health and wellness a bigger part of their life. Um, it's all the way to athletes that are performing, um, you know, professional and elite athletes performing, uh, nationally and internationally. So I, um, and I get to work with, um, just all different athletes and uh, individual athletes and clients and teams all on helping them kind of remove the obstacles that we end up putting in our own way sometimes and, um, and be able to build some of those skills so that they can thrive under pressure and be more consistent with their performance. Yeah. The things that I think tie in, um, the best between kind of parenting a special needs child and this, um, mental skills for an athlete, um, are resilience, as you mentioned already, um, being able to work through struggle and challenge and um, 
you know, I think those are really big pieces of that puzzle. Um, and then I think also dealing with um, failure in a way, you know, I remember years ago um, when my kids were playing Little League, we went to the local um, AA baseball field and they did a little seminar with them. And uh, the batting coach had said to them, you know, baseball is like 93% failure or something like that. Because, you know, in, in at that level, you are not getting on base every time you get up to bat you you know there's a lot of that perceived failure within the game and so that really struck me as you you know how much a baseball player really has to work on resilience and being positive and optimistic under that sort of um, performance and stress Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting with my, um, I work with a collegiate softball team. I've been working them with them for quite a long time. And then with my athletes and exercisers with type one diabetes, there's so many similarities in that um, idea of perceived fail- failure. And so one of the things I work on really with all my athletes, but those two populations in particular um, that I think probably resonates with your audience too, is this idea of, you know, do I need to consider the possibility of redefining success? Like, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be successful as a baseball player when it's a game of failure or a softball player? What does it mean to be successful living with type 1 diabetes when you're having to make decisions for your pancreas? Like, and then what yeah. does it mean to be as a parent um, of a child with ADHD when they're, you know, we, we have this tendency to, um, I think one of the things that we do sometimes as just as humans in any kind of performance is it, and I see this with my type one athletes, like there's so many things that there's so many decisions that you have to make when you're living with type one in in a day, it's kind of astronomical, just Mm -hmm. in like, not decisions like you and I make, you know, just that everybody, everyone makes, but specifically for, um, for trying to manage diabetes, uh, there's so many decisions that they make, but the decisions that always tend to stick with them and weigh the most, like hold the most weight are the ones that they perceive as things that they did wrong. Yeah. And they don't really on like the hundreds and thousands of decisions in the week that they made that were great. And that were not only, and I don't mean great, like because of the outcome, but maybe that decision that they made was the best decision they could make in that moment, given the information that they had. So I think people just tend to beat themselves up a lot. And I can imagine that happens as a parent. Um, You know, you, you're trying to make a decision in the moment of what to do. And maybe you really do make the best decision in that moment with the information that you have, and then later beat yourself up and think, I should have done this. I should have done that. I didn't handle that well, but really there's probably a million decisions you did and, you know, a million different things that you did that really were, um, you, you could define as success, but we don't hold on to those. So then it's this constant feeling of, of failure. So that's one of the things I challenge people to do sometimes is, you know, is it time to really kind of poke holes in your theory of how you're defining success? And is it possible, you know, redefine what it means to be, a successful athlete or a successful parent. Yeah, that's huge um, in our community. I talk about that all the time is that, 
you know, you have to redefine what parenthood is based on the child that you have. And we don't have neurotypical children, but yet, you know, as adults um, growing up, we get this idea of what successful parenthood looks like. What is, you know, we define um, successful parenting based on what our own experience might have been, but also about what society expects from us. And so when we when we think about parenting a kid who has a different brain and who goes through life in a different way and sees and experiences the world in a different way, um, the definition of success has to change and in some areas dramatically. Um, and that's part of like the groundwork, the foundational work that we do um, with parents because you really if, if you feel like a lot of things are failures that aren't given your own truth and your own set of circumstances, then when you go forward from that, um, you know, you're taking that negativity with you, you're carrying that and, and it's detrimental. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think the other thing um, I, that would be so important that is really sort of like striking me right now and resonating that, that I feel like is a similarity with my, um, actually with my injured athletes and my type one and my, the people I work with living with type one that probably c comes across here as well as how, um, like how important it is. Well, there's a couple things. One is how important it is to be taking care of yourself when mm -hmm. you um, are when your circumstances are such that you are probably going to have be exposed to more life stress than maybe somebody else. Yes. Um, because experiencing that you're dealing with this on a daily basis. Um, and that can feel very, very overwhelming. So, so that become that, um, commitment to yourself to make sure that you're managing your own self-care and being proactive instead of reactive about, working on managing your stress becomes very, very important. Um, and, and it's not, and I think a lot of times under stress, it's, you know, the first thing that goes and it feels like a luxury instead mm -hmm. of, um, no, this is a necessity in order for me to be able to manage the stress that my central nervous system has so that I, uh, so that I can make, um, sound decisions and that I can have enough to be, you know, emotional and psychological and physical capacity to be able to do this. Yeah. Um, instead, you know, it's like, um, you know, there's certain things that you're going to be able to do to, uh, it's like, um, it's like, uh, to open the pressure valve, to release some of that. Um, and if you're not doing that, it's going to come out <laughs> like it's yeah. coming out one way or so. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's so, it's just, um, it can be, so much better to be, be proactive about it and opening, you know, there's different ways you can do that, you know, so to speak, like opening the pressure valve so that you're letting a little bit out at a time. Cause when you don't do that and it builds and builds, the whole thing bursts and it's going to come out sideways on your kids, on your, you know, your boss or your colleagues, on your spouse or on your family, on your friends, like it's coming out mm -hmm. and yep. have it come out in a more controlled way, maybe, or, or make, right. uh, you know, choices about out versus it just, exploding because it's going to like at some point it's you know it's it's coming out one way or another so being able to 
you know, I can, I can, I can talk about like different ways of what that might look like to like, how can you release that pressure valve? And I think the yeah. other really important that fits in here too, is that, um, and it kind of fits in line with this actually is how important it is for you to build your support team, like mm-hmm. you individually. Um, and that, that, uh, that is huge for, um, yeah, you know, I'm, this is sort of, I'm hitting you now, like how, how key this is for, um, your population as well. Like for all of you guys listening right now as parents, you know, that, that, that each one of you individually needs to build that for yourself. Um, I think that's a significant thing there. And what's interesting with that is, um, you know, there's different, um, so what this is, I talk about this a lot, actually, with both of those populations, like really with all, like anytime you're working towards a goal or if you're working through an injury um, or you're, you know, trying to manage a, a chronic illness and having to deal with these things every day, um, there are different types of support that you need. And um, so to, there's usually four different types of support that we need in, in any of those situations, really just as a human being. There's four different types of support we're going to end up needing at any given point in time. And it's um, informational, emotional, um, tangible, and like a actual uh, help. Well, I'll go through and kind of explain what each of, the, of those are. And then motivational. Yeah. So... Um, so with, uh, informational, it's like, you know, a lot of people might tune into your podcast and they're getting informational support on, um, different specific issues that resonate with them that they're dealing with. So informational support is, like, I don't have this information. If I had it, I think it would help me. Um, and then emotional support is being able to have those, um, outlets for frustration and for being able to, um, you know, get fed in that way in terms of like, being able to have someone that listens without judgment and, um, and getting, having people in your life that are able to provide that kind of emotional support. Um, and then the tangible support is, you know, do I have someone that's willing to, um, watch the kids so that I can go get a a workout like tangibles, like this is an specific thing that I need support with. Um, and then, uh, motivational support is like people that believe in you. Um, and people that say like, I know this is hard, but I know you can do this. So it's that kind of support. So, so those across the board, we all need those four different types of support. And one of the biggest challenges sometimes for people is, um, it can be, it can feel very stressful at times when the type of support that you need, isn't the type of support being offered in that moment. Yeah. So, and, and that's hard. And so one of the things I talk about with my athletes and with, you know, the people that I work with is. Um, th- there's a couple different things to, that are important to consider with that, with this whole concept of like, how do I build my support team? Especially if you feel like you've tried and, and are, are feeling like you're not getting the support that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, one is that, uh, one important piece is that you really have to, you have to, number one, understand what type of support you need, like out of those, like really understand, like what type of support do I need in this moment? And then you have to be proactive about asking for the support that you need. So I think a lot of times make the assumption that like, well, 
if you really loved me, you would know exactly the support that I need in the exact moment that I need it. And I shouldn't have to ask for it. And you should give it to me in the exact way that I want you to give it to me. And it just just doesn't work that way. Like, um, it just doesn't work that way. So, uh, so really getting to the place where you feel empowered and feel okay, asking for the support that you need. And there's different reasons why we end up not doing that. We don't, we're embarrassed. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to be perceived as needy. Like there's all these different reasons why we can't hold ourselves back from that, but that really that you need that. And it's okay to ask for that. And I think the other thing is to recognize because people um, sometimes tend to give the type of support that they would want in that moment, or they might just naturally be better at giving one type of support than another. You really need multiple people on your team um, because there will be times where you might have to accept, oh, I'm this person can give me this type of support, but it, they're not capable of giving me the other type. So an example, like with my injured athletes, it might be you know, big stressor I hear all the time is they go in to work with their athletic trainer or their doctor and they're getting informational support. But what they really need in that moment is emotional support. They just need someone to say, it'll be okay, we're going to get through this. I know it's scary, but we're going to figure, you know, we're going to work together and do everything we can. Like that is what they need more than anything in that moment, but they're getting informational support. So sometimes the athlete's stressed out and they don't even know why. And then they don't hear anything that the doctor's saying, which is important information because that's not the support they need in that moment. And sometimes they have to recognize like um, they're not going to get that from their doctor. Some doctors are great and they're able to do both that some others, it's just not in their skill set. And kind of seeing that way, instead of personalizing it, sometimes it can help to perceive it in a way where it's like, well, that's, that's something that that person has never been taught or that doesn't come naturally, but that doesn't mean that they're not trying to support me, even if it's not the kind of support I need in this moment. Mm-hmm. So I have like, you know, actually I have a worksheet that I have people work through where we, whatever it is that we're, you know, whether it's a goal or, you know, we look at what are the different types of support um, and what kind of support they need for each of those categories. And then who might, who in their life might be able to provide that type of support and then set goals for going and asking for it. So if it feels, if you're even listening to this conversation, like if anyone's listening to me talk about this and you're feeling like supremely uncomfortable with this idea of like, I don't know if I can do like just start with baby steps and it, and it gets easier the more you do it. And, um, and really know like it's okay it's okay for you to ask and it's okay for someone to say they can't do that for you. Like it's okay for someone to say no. And that, that doesn't have to ruin your relationship. Like in some ways it can really bring, you know, bring people close to get closer together. I think the other piece with this, what I find really fascinating with my, like with my type one people that I, well, and, and my, I mean, this is true for anyone going through a any kind of stressor or challenge, like specific challenge. So injured athletes or my type one athletes, like um, or my elite athletes or a specific sport. The, when you think about the people you want on your support team, it's, re- it's really important to have both um, people that are in your tribe. Like, um, so for my, you know, I, I run the, um, I'm the director of, of mental training for uh, an organization called Diabetes Training Camp, where we bring 
um, athletes and exercisers together with uh, type one diabetes and they get to come together and go to this intensive camp where they have all these experts and, um, you know, giving them all this education and they get to work out with these great coaches. And I run the mental training program, but one of the most powerful aspects of that camp is not even that they get to come be with all these incredible, the staff is just superb, like outstanding. And that's not even the most powerful part. The most powerful part is for a lot of them, that's the first time they've ever been in a room with that many people living with type one diabetes and the power that comes with your tribe. There's nothing close to that. Um, So that's so important to like, you know, I think that's why your podcast is so great is, you know, just even knowing that there's other parents that are in your tribe that can identify with what you're going through and the challenges that you face, the specific challenges that you face, not just as being a parent, but as being a parent of, um, you know, a child that's not neurotypical that, you know, that uh, having that specifically be a part of your support team is really, really, really important. So anything, you know, and, and I would say too, like, um, I don't know if this happens, you know, I'm not sure if this resonates, but I know with other, uh, you know, populations that I've worked with, one of the challenges sometimes is, um, they might go to a support group where they think they're going to be with their tribe. And then they go there and realize, oh, but this isn't quite, this isn't it. So, you know, what I mean, um, I'll have, sometimes there'll be, people will leave camp and they'll go try and find a, a group of, um, people living with type one in, in their community. And then they go and, and it's, um, I've heard, heard this a few times now and it feels like, um, it doesn't feel positive and it doesn't yeah. feel like it's something that feeds them in that way. And, um, so to know, like to not give up that that just means that maybe that specific group isn't, isn't the one for you, but there's so many yeah. resources now on like, you know, just that there to have that connection, I think is important. And What's interesting is I think it's also important to have connections with people that aren't in your tribe because um, they're just going to see things a little bit differently. And sometimes you don't want to talk about it. Like, so it's, it's really important to have both, um, to have people that like nobody else is going to get what you're going through. Like someone that's going through it. You just most well-meaning people in your life um, that really are doing the best that they can. There's just a, a certain level um, that they're just not going to get. And it's not because they're a bad person. It's just, that's not part of their life experience. So it's not part of their worldview. And they just, you just can't get it in that same way as someone that is also living it. Yeah. That's huge in our community because we, um, you know, we tend to internalize what we perceive as failures in our parenting or in our kids, um, as something that we must have done wrong and caused and so when you meet somebody else who has similar parenting challenges has similarly that was hard to say similarly challenging kids um, it's a relief it's a huge relief because you realize that it's not your own failure Um, Mm -hmm. the other thing that really struck me as you were outlining those four different types of support is that we as parents are kind of um, the skills training person for our kids. You know, our kids Mm -hmm. also need those four types of support. Um, And we're often the person that's looked to, to, to provide those things. And, and there, 
even more crucial, I think, especially with the emotional support um, and that motivational support um, that our kids with ADHD and even autism tend to need more of because they do get so much negative messaging in their day to day, especially if they're going to like a mainstream public school, you know, an, an environment that just isn't designed for their success. It's designed really for to highlight all of their weaknesses. That's not the intention, but that that tends to be what happens um, for kids with ADHD in a in a public mass education setting. And so, you know, as parents, being that motivational and emotional support to say, you know, I know that you can do it, or you know, and recognizing too that it's not a good fit you know I, I've struggled with for a long time my son just finished his freshman year in high school and um, for a long time I felt like you know the school needs to change and accommodate him and that's what the law says you know that that, that the playing field is supposed to be evened out for kids with disabilities but the reality is that it just doesn't happen and it, it doesn't happen on the level that our kids need and so mm -hmm. then we're adjusting our expectations like we talked about earlier in this conversation and you know, changing that definition of success. So for example, in school, you know, my son has a high IQ, but he also has a lot of challenges in, in learning. And so I don't expect him to be an AB student. Um, and that's the expectation that I grew up with. Well, if you're smart, then you get good grades. And, um, you know, your performance in high school defines whether or not you're going to be a successful adult. Well, that's not necessarily true. It depends on who you are and, and the brain that you have, right? And so, you know, part of the work that I've had to do as this parent is to redefine what success looks like in, um, for academics and in other ways too in life but you know that's a real good example because I think you know everybody listening has probably had those challenges where our kids just don't fit in different environments you know it's that proverbial square peg in a round hole and no matter how much we hammer on them they're not going to fit through that hole um, and so you come back to again redefining what success looks like. I mean, I think that's um, one of the huge takeaways from our conversation in this episode is how important that is to define success in a way that's attainable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, that's so huge because um, I, there, I feel like both with uh, with kids who's, you know, my brain doesn't work the way that everyone else's like that other people's brain works. Mm -hmm. And instead of, so, so instead of this idea of like, um, I need to figure out how to force myself to fit into this hole. It's like, Oh no, where's my hole. I have to figure out where my, the, the hole, the hole is that fits my shape. And instead right. of realizing that, that like, Oh, my brain works differently than somebody else's. And I have to figure out how to work with this. Um, and same with parents, like, Oh, this parenting a child with ADHD or autism is going to be a little bit different than parenting a child who doesn't have ADHD or autism. Um, you know, that I think we, we it, because of our culture, we're trying so hard to like, no, but I have to fit into this hole that then if you don't, um, there's all this shame uh, yes. that comes with that. that. And instead of like, that's part of like how, why it's so important to 
you know, like all these different types of support, both for parents and for your kids is, um, is to help normalize that so that they see like, oh, it's not just me. It's, I'm not, I'm not by myself in this. And sometimes it can feel very, very isolating if you're not getting that type of support. And then I think one of the powerful things that comes from that is that you get to be with people. It's like, oh my gosh, you do that. I do that too. Yeah. So I myself so much shame about that, but it turns out like other people that are struggling with this do the same thing. Like that it really, you're doing a better job than you think. And I think that that sometimes is what comes with, you know, getting some of that support is like, oh my, okay, maybe I'm not doing, maybe I'm not a horrible parent. Maybe I'm not a horrible student. I just have to figure this out. And, and it's really hard to do that when you're, uh, you know, you're just, surrounded by a culture that doesn't quite get it. Um, and so that's another reason why, uh, you know, I mean, that ruins me my type one athletes too. Like it just, it's another reason why taking care of yourself is so important because it's just, uh, that can be an additional stressor sometimes is, um, almost like when, when do I, when should I be an advocate for helping people understand? And when do I just like, I don't need to try and explain to this person that's clearly doesn't really care. <laughs> like, and that it's okay. I, I don't know if, it, like, I see people struggle with that sometimes with, yeah. um, with diabetes, like trying to explain, like, no, that's not actually how it works. And some, and, and that they get to choose. Like one of the things I kind of tell them is you, you get to choose when you want to be an advocate. And, and we might talk about like, the language to use and like how to do it so that they walk away feeling good about that interaction. Because at the end of the day, you can't control someone else's perception or their communications come back at you, but you can, you know, manage, um, you know, make the choice to do what makes you feel good and sort of live your values. And, and it's okay on a given day to say, you know what, I don't have it today. I don't have, my cup is too full and I don't, I don't need to be an advocate today and I don't need to be an educator today. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means right now you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's such a good point. That really ties in with this parenting. Cause we do talk a lot about self-care and I even hold retreats for moms, um, around self-care and, and, um, you know, finding your own purpose and, and not losing yourself within your parenthood. And, um, you know, you have to be mentally and emotionally and physically able to provide the support to your child to, you know, seek the support that you need. Um, you know, we, so many people talk about the oxygen mask on the airplane and how by putting it on first, you're making sure that you're capable and able to help as many as you can. And, you know, I think the same, I'm sure is true for athletes. There's a lot of work they have to do behind the scenes to be prepared and ready and capable of good performance. And really the same is true for parents. We, we have to take care of ourselves and be in the right mindset in the right health you know I mean if we really let ourselves go and the stress starts to have an impact on our physical health then we no longer can perform in the same way for our kids yeah absolutely that's so so true there's an analogy that I use sometimes with my athletes where it's like there's all these different um there's all these different aspects that we exactly what you're saying like there's all these different things that kind of have an effect on performance so it could be your physical conditioning, it could be your knowledge of the game, it could be your nutrition, like all these 
different things are going to have your mental training. Like it's all going to have an impact. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like, it's like a spokes on a wheel. So in order for your wheel to be true, they call it truing wheels, which means like uh, when you true the wheel, it makes sure that your wheel is rolling straight on a, on a bike. And so in order to make sure you wheel wobble, each one of those spokes has to have equal tension. So if there's any one of those spokes that's not being given equal tension, so to speak. So if you have like your spoke for sleep is not being given equal tension or your spoke for exercise or meditation or finding joy in your life, like any of those things that help manage your stress, if those are spokes on the wheel, if any of them isn't being given equal tension, you're going to have wheel wobble. So it's, it really becomes important. Like you're right. Like for you to be able to give as uh, you know, have your, you know, sort of optimal performance, so to speak, as a parent, be able to give um, what you need to give, you've got to make sure your wheel's true and that you're feeding all of those pieces of you. And that's not, um, you know, one of the things I would work with a lot of, um, for a while I was working with a lot of uh, female cyclists and triathletes. And so they have bigger training loads, like they have significant periods of time that they need to train in order to be ready. And it was something that really fed and there was a lot of guilt about, um, I feel like I should be with my kids. I feel like I should be with my family. I feel like I'm neglecting people when I'm out training. And so they were like, when they were training, they were thinking about their family. And when they were the family, they were thinking they should be training. And so like your brain in the place that you are, like make sure your brain is actually in the location that you're at in that moment, instead of time, we'll call it time traveling. Um, but also knowing like, it's okay for you to do that because for them, that exercise was pretty key for their own mental health and wellness um, as far, uh, and, and also their physical health and wellness. But it, you know, they knew that like their ability to manage stress was significantly better when they were able to do that for themselves. But there was just so much guilt as a parent, like, wow, I feel like it's not okay for me to do this. And I think that when you're a caretaker, like, uh, even some things like, well, I'm going to sacrifice sleep. I'm not going to get in my workout. I don't have time to meditate. I'm not going to create my list of things that bring me joy and make a commitment to do once a week because I don't have time for that. Right? Yeah. Like I don't have time to do that because I'm busy taking care, you know, but, but really it's, so it really is this mindset shift of that. We need to stop thinking about those things as extra. Um, yes. and it, and think about them as integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of that kind of a bigger cultural challenge that we face is that, um, you know, if you're not producing constantly and you're not constantly striving and you're not constantly sort of moving forward and upping the bar, then you're failing when, and we just have to completely redefine that, um, what it means to, to thrive and like, you know, and, and instead of, defining success as I worked 70 hours this week, defining it as I took a biplate hooky and went out and had a family day with my kids. Yeah. Looking more toward the joy and what nourishes your soul rather than these other ideas of performance that, that society places on us, you know, especially American culture, you know, there's this idea that you also always have to be hustling, hustle, hustle, hustle. It's like the buzzword now. And, you know, you, if you don't take care of yourself in that hustle, eventually you're going to run out of steam and you're not even going to be performing, you know, at a, at a normal level. 
Absolutely. I love the analogy of the wheel too. That's such a good visual um, for Mm -hmm. us. And I think, you know, as you were describing that, I was also thinking, well, it may not just wobble. If you take enough of those spokes out, your wheel's going to collapse and you're not going to go anywhere. You know, it could be that serious um, if you really neglect yourself that much. So it's so, so important. And we, you know, like we've been saying, we're really just programmed to, as moms and as women, put everybody else first. And it really is part of that performance. You know, when we sit down and we say, what is my goal as a parent? Well, really in a, in a very generalized way, the goal is to create um, an eventual adult who it can be successful um, and will have joy in their lives. And that definition of success is going to vary based on your child and your family values and so forth. But, you know, in a general sense, that's where we are trying to guide the ship. Um, and so when we're looking at all that minutiae, it's so powerful to go back to that goal and ask yourself, is this um, going to get me to that goal? Is this serving my goal? Um, and if not, maybe it's not a priority in your life or in your parenting. Um, but self-care is definitely serving that goal because, you know, and and there's other aspects of that too, when we're talking about parenting, modeling that behavior, you know, I want my kids to grow up and take good care of themselves. I want them not just to sacrifice everything about themselves for everyone else. Um, so if I'm living that way, how are they going to grow up to live? You know, and that that's really when when my mindset shifted for myself and my own kids um, was when I realized that the way that I was treating myself, even my own, you know, self-deprecating talk and body image and everything that I was vocalizing just in front of my kids was teaching them that for themselves. And that was when I was able to really make that shift and say, you know, I have to honor myself because I want to teach them to honor themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You're teaching through your actions as much as your words, if not more so. And that becomes important to think like, oh, would I want, would I want to be teaching my child this of like, would I want them to be talking to themselves in this way and beating themselves up and always feeling like a failure and not taking care of themselves? Like, Oh, but you are, you know, in a way, if you're doing that to yourself and they're witnessing that you are teaching them that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we are always kind of on as teachers for our kids. They are watching and they may not be consciously learning. You know, it's not like we're sitting them down and giving them a lecture and a lesson in that way, but they are always noticing and observing and um, kind of soaking in the environment. And so it's, it's really important to sit back and think about that sometimes in that way. What are you modeling, you know, and, and self-care too, I think is important for our emotional capability. You know, there's a lot of um, pressure on our emotions. There's, there's a huge weight there when we're parenting kids who have ADHD or autism. Um, 
you know, it's hard. It's a hard parenthood. It's challenging in ways that other parents of neurotypical kids don't have. And and I'm not minimizing the experience of a parent who has a neurotypical kid because I'm a firm believer that everybody has their own struggles and challenges. They're just different for everyone. Um, but there is more of an emotional burden for us a lot of times. And so that self-care piece, you know, is, is a big piece of the resilience. And then also that support team that you described in all four of those areas, I would think that that's a big part of resilience as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they, you know, there's some really interesting research too on this idea of like happiness, which I think is a term we kind of throw around a little too, either. You know, mm-hmm. in the last few years, all this research on happiness, but you know, when they look at across the board with these, that this idea of like life satisfaction and, um, and happiness and longevity, one of the things that they found as the, the most significant factor out of all of the different factors um, regardless of, of income and just like, regardless of all of these different things, most important factor was, uh, social connections. So Mm -hmm. that like really taking that, really taking that to heart that like, if you're going to put your efforts and energy and work anywhere, building that support team is a pretty significant one, um, and an important one to do. Um, cause the other thing in in terms of managing stress that we know through research is, uh, when people are able to manage stress better when they have an outlet. Um, so when you have people that you can talk to or you go um, get in your workout and that's your time to give just to yourself so that, um, you know, to not, you know, to really think of it as like, oh, the, the fact is you're going to have stress in your life. Right. So because of that, and that you're not, there's just a certain reality is that you're not going to be able to remove that stress. Like, you know, when we're looking at stress management, sometimes we aren't looking at other ways to remove the stress. And, but a lot of times with what we're talking about here, that's not an option. There's going to be a certain amount of life stress. So my other option is how do I build my skill set of coping skills and how do I start to make that I priority and get serious about like a commitment to that because I'm going to have life stress because this is my reality. So how can I balance instead of like, if I can't remove it, what can I do to make sure that I'm feeding the other side so that it is balanced and so that I am removing some of that pressure. And a lot of that has to do with the building the support team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we get told a lot to reduce our stress. You know, I've had more than one doctor's appointment where the doctor said, well, the way to handle this is to reduce your stress. And I'm thinking, you have no idea. Like, you know, I can't give away my kids and I'm not willing to. So reducing it isn't always um, practical. But definitely the ways that we deal with it, the mindset that we have about the stress. And, you know, I have noticed a difference in my physical health the more that I have focused on um, mindset in this parenting over the last year, year and a half or so when I really started to realize um, how powerful and empowering that is and how crucial it is for us in the special parenthood. And I've noticed that, you know, I have fibromyalgia, which is 
induced by stress, you know, pain comes from stress. And so I have had less flares in the last year, um, just by managing my mindset a good bit. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing. And then when you see those very tangible results, it really helps you to keep going down that path. You know, when you take care of yourself and you see that, oh, you you know, your child might have a better self-image or, you know, whatever it might be. If if you just give it a try long enough and you start to see results, you'll be a believer, if you want to call it that. And, And it's much easier to keep prioritizing that in your life yeah absolutely well we are running out of time I know that we could talk about this a great deal longer um but I think, you know, the, I, I knew that there was this connection between kind of your world and my world as far as mental skills training. And the more that we dove into this conversation, the more that became apparent. And and um, it's really fascinating. And I'm happy to see that it's a whole profession. Like, I hope it grows and it grows into other areas, too. And um, I think it's really powerful information for parents and and anyone in any walk of life to have you know we really do control our own happiness and our own destiny so to speak in our mindset and our outlook yeah absolutely well thank you so much for being here in the show notes you can go to everyone listening parenting adhd and autism.com slash zero four one and the show notes will be there um, ways to connect with carrie and her work all those links and links to anything that we have talked about during this episode will all be there in the show notes i thank you again for your time and lending us your expertise My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And with that, we will conclude this episode and I will see everyone on the next show. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.